BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Tuesday, January 30th, 2024. Matt Ho is our guest, as usual, at this time of Tuesday. Matt, it's a pleasure, my friend. Welcome back to the show. I I want to uh, spend most of our time uh, on Israel uh, in light of recent uh, events there and uh, elsewhere. Uh, but before we do, what what is your take on the state in you uh, the state of ukraine i mean as we speak the republicans are still trying to put together a deal in the congress of some sort of a immigration uh a crackdown between texas and mexico in return for 61 billion uh in material and ammunition and cash to ukraine do you think it's more obvious now than it was even a week ago that the 61 billion they might as well just throw it down down the drain well, I, I think the danger of that money not getting there uh, to Ukraine really highlights the overall folly, uh, the stupidity, the, the recklessness of uh, the Biden administration pursuing this unwinnable war. Uh, this was always what was going to happen. The, Ukraine was never going to win this war. And you were going to get to this position like there are now where the country has been so destroyed, it's been so deflated, uh, they are millions of people short to run their economy. I mean, the government government of Ukraine says about 4 million refugees need to come back to Ukraine because that's how big their labor shortage is. I mean, so just in all all types of measures and metrics uh, of of the country, aside from the horror of the front, Ukraine is in terrible position. So this is a house of cards, just like the U.S. built in Iraq, just like the U.S. built in Afghanistan. And so that that money not showing up means that the, the, the danger of collapse of either the government or the economy or both is very real. And I think if that were to occur, I don't think the Russians push past the river. I think they move up to the Dnieper River. But that's it, because I don't think the Russians want to occupy central and western Ukraine. They do not want to take the Ukrainian speaking parts of the country. They do not want to go into a, an occupation, you know, that would make, uh, uh, you know, it, it would be the European version of what the Americans did in Iraq and Afghanistan. They don't want to make that mistake. And they don't have a desire for that, because I don't think that was ever the strategic objectives of the Russians uh, to take anything more than the than the Donbass and uh, uh, down towards um, Herzog to allow uh, a connection uh, to Crimea. Uh, but, you know, I think that's where it's at. I mean, the, the stupidity of all this, Judge, is, is just is, is so remarkable. And many of us, including yourself and 
guests you've had in this channel have been saying this for a full two years now. Putin does not want to occupy a country where he's hated and where he's going to be facing a, a guerrilla war. He wants to protect the portions of the country he believes are Russian-speaking, Russian culturally, and historically a part of Russia. We've been saying that. You've been saying it uh, for two years. President Biden says, I think I'm quoting him, if Putin takes Ukraine, a stupid thing to say, but if Putin takes Ukraine, what will stop him from going after a NATO country, and then you'll see what no one wants and no one expects. I think I have this down verbatim. American boys fighting uh, Russian boys. This is a canard articulated by the president to uh, talk the Republicans in the House, has the Senate, the Republicans in the House into giving him the $61 billion so he can waste it. Right. I mean, for most of my adult life, I've heard this, this trope, this, this fantastical uh, fear-mongering about how if we don't fight them over there, we'll have to fight them here. And that's been applied to judge. Should we go through the litany? Do we need to go no, through no, all don't, the, right? don't, I mean, don't. all the different people we've been told it'll that it'll take us a long time to go through that litany, Matt. And, right. and I might remember a few that you don't because I'm older than you. All right. Transitioning uh, to Israel, which seems to be getting um, hotter uh, every day. Did the ICJ, the International Court of Justice, which didn't find as a matter of law that Israel was engaged in genocide, but asked it not to do so and demanded by a vote of 16 to 1, and the one was the, the judge from the Congo, the Israeli judge voted with a 16 uh, to report in 30 days that in fact it is not engaging in uh, genocide. Did this burst the bubble of Israeli moral, self-claimed moral rectitude? I, I Unfortunately, I don't think so, because I think what you're going to see from the Israelis in a month's time is going to be a report to the, to the ICJ saying we haven't been committing genocide, which is what they've been saying all along. And that's, that's what you're going to hear from the Americans. That's what you're going to hear from the British, the few uh, benefactors, a few backers of Israel are going to continue to say that, which is, is primarily just the United States. But that's all the Israelis care about. The Israelis, you know, the, uh, Ambassador Murray, when he was on your show, he brought up something that coincides with something I saw from Israeli television and Israeli discussion about the opportunity of theater. And Ambassador Murray, and people should go back and listening to, to Ambassador Murray's conversation with, with, with the judge, because one, Ambassador Murray is a heck of a smart guy, but also two, he was the only journalist allowed into that courtroom from what I understand. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, this idea that the Israelis saw opportunity in this, that this was their chance to perform theater and that this is what it was about to them, just to continue their justifications for who they are, just to continue their, 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 the narrative of their persecuted identity, that we are not ones committing genocide. We are the ones who are genocide being committed against. This is not genocide, this is self-defense, right? And so that appeals to their backers, again, primarily just the United States, United States Congress, United States media, uh, you know, a, a good portion of the American electorate. Uh, it, that's all they care about. And so I think this is why, you know, I was disappointed, many others I think were disappointed too, that the ICJ, was not as explicit, as direct, as clear as it might have been. Uh, for example, the South Africans came in and they requested the court to order 
Israel to suspend its military operations. And the court did not do that. The, and the court has done that in the past. They've they directed Russia two years ago to suspend their military operations. So the vagueness that was uh, in uh, that uh, ruling by the ICJ, it can be interpreted in different ways. And so I think that's going to be the Israeli and the American strategy is just to continue to go along, to, to act, to do the theater, the outrage theater uh, that they have been doing for the last several months and hopefully accomplish their goals before anything, anything happens that would force them to accomplish their goals. And unfortunately, the ICJ uh, is not going to be able to enforce them because they're uh, to force them because their their order is unenforceable. It's subject to the Security Council in which the U.S. has a veto. Right. I mean, right, exactly. And that's the whole plan. That's you mean, you, you, we've seen this story before. Right. Right. This, this is the, this is how they're going to play it out. And the pressure that the White House is under is not a moral pressure. It's not a strategic pressure. It's a political pressure. They're under the pressure to adhere to what Israel does because of the strength of the Israeli lobby. But they also have some real concerns about the election in, in November. And so the pressure is, can the Israelis get done what they want to do by November 2024? So this is not something that is going to cause uh, progressive voters not to vote for the president. Um, and Israel has pressure too. I mean, certainly there there are uh, fractions there there are uh, fractures within the Israeli political system, as we all know. The pressure of the hostages, uh, just the overall uh, way that different factions within Israel, powerful factions within Israel, are trying to pull Israel in different directions on this. Um, so it's not as simple or as straightforward as the Americans or Israelis would like. There are pressures, but they don't see that pressure coming from the ICJ, uh, from the UN. That's a nuisance, uh, you know, something that they have to deal with. But they'll try to utilize that, turn that on its head and use that for as an opportunity to conduct theater. I'm going to stop for just a moment because uh, we have I haven't seen this because it just happened 30 or 60 seconds ago. Uh, we have President Biden stopping to take uh, questions about the Houthis and about Iran on his way to a helicopter on the White House grounds. So we're going to run it. You and I will hear it for the first time, and then we'll talk about it. Yes. I do hold them responsible in the sense that they're supplying the weapons to the people who did it. Well, we'll have that discussion. We'll see. All right. He didn't really tell us uh, anything other than he's obviously talking about it to his uh, advisors and is under pressure from congressional uh, Republicans to bomb Tehran and uh, under congressional under pressure from congressional Democrats uh, to be temperate. Just one last question about the ICJ before we move on. You think the United States is on notice that it may be next? There are all kinds of rumors that South Africa is now planning to charge the United States with genocide on the very rational theory that, uh, as Joe Biden just said about Iran and the Houthis, I don't know if it's true what he said. You supply them with the weapons, you're responsible for how they use them. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I, I hope so. I mean, I, I really hope so. I, I don't know, Judge. I haven't seen anything different than than or more than what you've seen. And so, but I certainly hope so. I hope the United States is charged with complicity and genocide. That certainly is allowable underneath the genocide convention to, to which the South Africans went to the ICJ. But um, whether or not that will occur, I don't know. But again, hopefully it will. Have you ever heard uh, of state actors? Uh, dressing as physicians and patients and going into a hospital and assassinating patients in their hospital beds in a country with which the state actors are not at war. Only in the movies, I think, Judge. The closest I, I can I can recall is uh, American uh, intelligence uh, when where they are trying to to locate Osama bin Laden going through the, the city of Abbottabad, pretending to be uh, healthcare professionals, asking about vaccines, I think it was, or some other type of healthcare, and utilizing that type of healthcare coverage, which you know is morally gross uh, and also strategically unwise in the long term because it gets people not to trust healthcare right, providers, right? right. right. So, you know, so. but I, but in terms of what we saw with the Israelis, I've never seen anything like this. This is you know what what is. Uh, uh, as are, let me just stop you for a second, Matt. These are Israeli intelligence agents dressed as uh, Arab physicians and healthcare workers in a hospital in the West Bank, not in Gaza, in order to uh, assassinate three young men who were injured and uh, injured by the, their, their Israeli colleagues uh, and in hospital beds. Go ahead. Right. You know, and... Um... That, that's this that's what's murder in my view. It, it is murder. International law view, even under Israeli law, it's murder. It, it is murder. It's absolutely murder. Uh, you know, I mean, you could just the video as well as then the photos of where those men were murdered, shot dead in hospital beds. There are photos of those beds with the blood stains on them. I mean, this was going into a hospital and executing people. I mean, this is the, the, the violations just pile up so fast here. The violations of international law, the war crimes, the acts of genocide pile up so quickly that we can't keep up, Judge. We'll, we'll, something else will occur by the time this show is over, by the end of this day, by tomorrow morning, by tomorrow afternoon, and we will have forgotten this. We'll move on. It will be another war crime. I mean, the, the, the thing we were just recently talking about, the desecration of graves. But before that, it was the, uh, you know, the destruction of every mosque uh, and, and church in, in northern Gaza. Yeah, I mean, like, so, I mean, like, it just, you can't keep up. And that's part of the strategy, I think. I don't know if it's a conscious part of the strategy or not, but you just do so much that those who are against you, your adversary, just cannot articulate everything that you're doing. 
and you're able just right. to keep bulldozing forward with your genocide. In this case, it was in the West Bank, so not even in Gaza, uh, in Janine. And so you see just this, this blatant disregard for any, uh, uh, any respect of international law, any respect of conventions and treaties, the law of armed warfare, as well as to just the moral or, or natural natural law uh, that we supposedly adhere to as, a, as as civilized people. But, you know, I think, you know, what I also take, if I can be glib for a second, as you see in that video, that they have, uh, they have uh, women uh, with them, the Israelis. So, you know, as well as to, I bet, you know, maybe some of those uh, uh, commandos are we wearing vegan boots, vegan leather boots? I mean, this is this is one of the tropes that goes on about how the Israeli army is the most moral army of the war. So again, getting back to what we were talking about before, the theater of it all, just continuing to push out the propaganda for your own side. We're not going to believe them. We're going to be horrified by them. But but by it, but we don't. But they don't care what we think. We're right. not their audience, and right. they think as long as they can keep their audience intact. So they feed them the red meat, you feed them the propaganda, then you can continue to sustain this war, this genocide, these war crimes. Let's get back to uh, President Biden. What is to be gained uh, by repeatedly attacking the Houthis and repeatedly uh, missing them and repeatedly acknowledging that he's missing them? Uh, it, it's political, Judge. Uh, you know, I mean, there is that, that clip which I think uh, should be shown. Uh, in every high school and college class on international relations and political science and, and you know, modern American history, uh, because it demonstrates uh, in the clip I'm referring to is, is Joe Biden being asked whether or not uh, the attacks on the Yemenis are working. And Biden says, no, but we're not going to stop. Uh, you know, it, it shows that this is all political. This is about Joe Biden being concerned that if he doesn't act tough enough, one Lindsey Graham is going to say bad things about him. And that's important. I mean, we can mock that, but that's important because you know, I've gotten to this point where like I should start writing it down. But informally, I do like this Lindsey Graham diary, which just, you know, I, I, I need help, Judge. Somebody you know, get me to a therapist. There's a lot but, of it. <laughs> right. But the idea of it, what I'm what I'm what I'm tracking, though, is how often and how quickly and high up uh, Lindsey Graham is quoted. So I found this weekend in the coverage over uh, what was occurring in the Middle East, particularly the, the killing of three American soldiers, that Lindsey Graham was often the first person quoted in American corporate media. And so it's important because that voice is there always banging and politicians are scared to death that they're going to be called weak. And that's essentially what Graham and the others like him, like Tom Cotton say, um, are saying is that Joe Biden is weak. And of course, that's what Donald Trump said right away. If I was president, this would never have happened. So you do these things like attacking the Yemenis, uh, you know, knowing it's not going to work, knowing it's only going to make the problem worse, only going to make the problem bigger, while ignoring that the simple answer, the simple solution is to stop uh, conducting genocide alongside the Israelis in Gaza. That ends all of this. But the same thing, too, is what's, what's, what's terrifying, should be terrifying to all of us, is that this idea that the Pentagon is saying we have no evidence the Iranians were involved in these three soldiers being killed. Joe Biden is making some type of connection that, you know, if we provide the weapon, they provide the weapons, they're guilty. Well, he just admitted his own guilt then in the genocide in Gaza. But, you know, this idea that regardless of whether it's effective, 
regardless of whether or not it's a smart thing to do, if this really represents and 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 strengthens the interests of the United States, we're going to do it because it's good politics. And so now this idea of what are they going to do against Iran? What point are they going to try and make for a domestic political audience, not for the Iranians, but for American voters, basically, to show that right. Joe Biden is tougher than Lindsey Graham or, or Donald Trump? And my fear is the delay we're seeing is, is, is about positioning assets. So are we seeing this delay because the U.S. Air Force needs to get its B-52s, B-1s, and B-2s in position to conduct heavy bombing and heavy air attacks of Iran? Is it because we need to get other resources, other assets, uh, other pieces of equipment and munitions in place to launch a major campaign? And the catastrophe that could come from it, this, this judge, it, w w a war with Iran would make the war in Iraq, that quagmire, it would make that quagmire look like a puddle, basically. Right, well, you just took the question out of my mouth. How reckless and dangerous will be the follow-up to the type of Lindsey Graham suggested attack on Iran if Joe Biden does it? Well, one, the Iranians have been preparing this, preparing for this for a very, very long time, for decades. Uh, yeah, listen to you talk to, to Colonel McGregor and Colonel McGregor uh, rightfully brought up. This has been basically more than 40 years, almost 45 years of the U.S. trying to overthrow the Iranian government, going back, of course, to uh, the Iran-Iraq war, which the Carter administration gave the thumbs up to the Iraqis to, to begin, to, to launch, to, to, to conduct an invasion of Iran. Uh, I mean, this has been 40, almost 45 years of this type of either hot or cold warfare of, you know, United States Congress is under Bill Clinton saying, you know, uh, um, excuse me, but, you know, uh, the preparation, though, for uh, or that Iran has been conducting, it should be reminiscent to us, though, of what the Russians did over the last decade or so preparing for a war in Ukraine. And it, that's lost on many American strategists, this idea that these nations are serious, that they are they are taking this seriously and that their measures have been serious. What will they do? Will they attack Israel? What will Iran do if I we think attack Iran from the air? I, I, one, it would certainly attack American ships, uh, you know, utilizing anti-ship missiles, diesel submarines, uh, attack the American air bases, not just in uh, uh, not just in Iraq and not just in Iraq, but also attack the American air bases, the major American air bases in, in Qatar, in the United Arab Emirates, uh, the naval base in Bahrain, the Prince Sultan air base in Saudi Arabia. These are major air bases that are vulnerable to the type of, of missile systems that Iran has. With that comes from that judge then is the possibility if you knock out the one aircraft carrier that's there or make it so it can't conduct flight operations, you take out these air bases or at least limit them. You now have these isolated uh, outposts of American soldiers in Iraq and Syria that no longer have the air cover that protects them from ground attack. You have very well organized, very well trained, very well experienced, extremely competent militias, uh, basically the popular mobilization fronts in uh, Syria and Iraq. These are the men that won the war against the Islamic State in both Syria and Iraq. So very experienced, very competent, who are now no longer under the threat of American air power. I mean, that, that might be, you know, that I might be, be pulling at threads here, but that just shows you the danger how this won't be that easy for the American forces. 
so, you know, you can get into all kinds of other things, too, about what will Hezbollah do? Uh, certainly, what are the, the Yemenis, Ansar Allah, the Houthis? How are they going to react to this? Uh, you know, as well as there are other things, too, just because we are 10,000 miles away or so, or 7,000 miles away, I guess, from the Persian Gulf, would la Iran launch cyber attacks against us? Another thing they've prepared for, because they have been victimized and attacked by Israeli and American cyber warfare for decades now. So they have prepared for this. So the seriousness of this, I think, has been lost in Washington, D.C., because we exist in our own fantasy world. Right. And we have a military industrial complex that we throw trillions of dollars at. And when we need them to produce weapons or munitions like 155 rounds, they can't. But when we go to war in a proxy war against the Russians, holy cow, they're actually prepared. They've been taking the time to build up their forces, build up their industrial base. They're able to conduct this war and fight this war and do it well. Same thing, I think, is going to happen with the Iranians. We're going to be surprised at how well prepared they are for a war with the U.S., why is the conversation like you and I are having now not on mainstream media? Why is mainstream media filled with uh, Mike Waltz's and Lindsey Graham's attack, 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 kill, kill, kill? I, uh, I had a, a misfortune yesterday, Judge, of, of watching um, Andrea Mitchell of NBC News, NBC News and uh, David Ignatius of The Washington Post interview the prime minister of Qatar, and i really want to go and seek out the prime minister of Qatar and apologize to him for having to have endured that uh it was nothing more than just a collection of american government talking points that they put forward to him not even not even prefacing them with with the american government saying this but just presenting those american government talking points as the reality of the world and I think that is because this is the bubble that they live in. These are their friends. Andrea Mitchell was married is married to Alan Greenspan, the Federal Reserve Chairman. You know, David Ignatius is famous for being friends with everybody at the CIA. Right. So he's, he's the CIA mouthpiece. Exactly. I think you get into this where uh, you have the question of elites, and so the elites in the media. And the elites in the defense industry, the elites in the fossil fuel industry, in the banking industry, et cetera. And they just they understand that what's good for the elite to my left and what's good for the elite to my right is good for me. And they sit on each other's boards. They go to each other's Christmas parties. They go to the same colleges. I mean, this is this is what we're dealing here. We're dealing with the top tier, the elites of the empire. And that is what gets pushed forward in terms of what our media says, believes, enunciates. And then, of course, there's watchdogs. So I think as we've seen with what's happening in Gaza, if uh, a media source begins to get out of line or not hew to the established narrative, there is an Israeli lobby that puts them back into place. And there's, you know, I mean, and you see that as well from the Pentagon, you see that from the State Department, keeping the media on track. And so you have a very pliant media because, again, they are in, in that top tier of elites of the empire. They don't want to lose their place. They don't want to not be invited to the Christmas parties. They don't want to not have their opportunity to be on a board of directors. And so, I mean, you, I think you start to understand how they interact with each other and how and why they do each other's business for each other. Before we go, here's the clip to which you referred that you suggested should be shown in every college uh, course on political science or, or American history. President Biden being asked if the attacks on the Houthis are working. 
Are they air striking him and working? Well, when you say working, are they stopping the Houthis? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. That might summarize the failure of his administration uh, right there. Are they working? Are they stopping the Houthis? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. Very right. sad. I don't know how this how this ends. I guess we'll have to wait and see what he decides. He's probably already decided when he tells us what he's going to do or what he will have done by the time he tells us to uh, satisfy the lust for blood from the Lindsey Graham uh, crowd uh, over the killing of the two uh, or the three American soldiers. Larry um, Johnson uh, doesn't believe the story uh, that uh, it was a drone uh, and that the Americans confused uh, an incoming uh, drone aimed at them with a returning American drone. He says the damage was far too catastrophic to have been caused by a drone. He thinks it was a far more sophisticated uh, missile aimed directly uh, at that small American base. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I, I don't see any reason why uh, it wouldn't have been a drone. Uh, like the the, the uh, Islamic resistance of Iraq, the, those groups have been launching drones on American forces for, for years now. They've gotten pretty good at it. They've launched, what, about 150 uh, strikes against U.S. bases in, in Syria and Iraq and now in Jordan. Uh, and so they've been able to observe and they probably maybe it was lucky. Maybe they, they maybe it's just as dumb luck that their drone was coming back the same time an American drone was. Or maybe they have been observing and they realize, look, the American air defense is shut down when one of their drones return. We can sneak one in. Uh, these soldiers were asleep uh, in their trailers. Basically, you know, you, you basically when you're over there, you live in uh, glorified connex boxes, shipping containers. So there's nothing separating you from a drone's warhead than uh, just uh, you know a very thin piece of metal. Uh, and you know warheads on those drones are not uh, not you know 205 you know 250 500 pounds. But you know certainly middle of the night when you've got a, a congested group, a congested target uh, of sleeping soldiers one drone strike is going to cause a lot of damage. And, and so I, I don't see any reason uh, not to not to follow uh, the story as it's been presented uh, to us. Got it. All right, Matt, thank you very much for your time. Very, very insightful, very helpful as always. And uh, we look forward to it. Now, that's not Chris. That's your dog. That's, that's nice. my dog. That's that's Lily. Uh, the, the, the male, it's the mailman's here. Oh, okay. so she's protecting me from With the mail. Chris, it's usually the squirrels, but that's a healthy bark. <laughs> now Chris is all over me. He heard the bark. Thank <laughs> you, uh, Matt. All the best. We'll see you next week. All right. Thanks, Judge. Another uh, great conversation uh, uh, with Candor Unsurpassed. Uh, coming up at uh, 3 o'clock today, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Karen Kwiatkowski, and at 4.30 today, all times Eastern, Scott Ritter on these same terrifying subjects. Judge Napolitano for judging freedom.